As we continue in this season of Easter, I want to tell you three stories. We'll tie them together as we go. And the first two, we've already heard. They were read. It starts, of course, with creation. There's a backstory, and even people who've never read the Bible kind of know the plot. God creates the world. God says, let there be light. And there is light. Lightness, goodness, we might say. But God's not about to stop there. God creates stars and planets and even puts a ring around one just for the fun of it because this story has fun associated with it. It might be better to say it's a kind of playful story. That'd probably be closer to it. And God has a lot of play in mind. God creates daffodils and water lilies and eventually one of those humans named Monet will try his hand at him as well. And sunflowers, because Van Gogh works magic on canvas. It's amazing what God and the humans will do together. And God creates creatures, robins and cattle and kangaroos and kittens and golden retrievers. Over and over it goes. And God says, I've given you everything. And God gives them food like strawberries and peaches And eventually the humans will figure out even how to make ice cream with those things. These are all good gifts from God. God even gives them rivers there in the garden called Eden, which is Hebrew for paradise. And I don't know, maybe down by the rivers they picnic. Maybe they even go skinny dipping. I mean, the first couple, they didn't have any clothes to wear. And and everyone knows what a picnic and skinny dipping can lead to because, well, God said be fruitful and multiply. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because the last thing God creates is us, humans, this first couple. And they walk and talk with God in the garden. They're among the trees, and oh, the trees. Yeah, fig, sure, and olive, but maybe bald cypress, maybe silver maples and redwoods and bur oaks. The teller of the story specifies two trees. The first is the tree of life, If you eat of this tree, you live forever. And the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this tree, you die. That's when the serpent enters the scene. And that's when we know something about the kind of literature we're dealing with. It's a snake that talks. And he is one smooth-talking snake. And what had been playful... mm, is not so much anymore. He says to the woman, did, um, did God say there were certain trees maybe you were supposed to stay away from? I'm just asking. I mean, no harm. Just, just asking. And a really sad chapter happens here. Instead of turning to talk to God, the woman now talks about God. They enter into a discussion And the snake makes good points, and she notices that the fruit does look good, and so she eats. 
and she gives to her husband to eat. And this is the first meal that is described. We can assume they were eating those strawberries and peaches and figs and what have you, but, but this is the first meal they eat that is recorded, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize their shame and their nakedness. And all of creation in that moment comes undone. Childbirth will be like hell. And gardening will include weeds. And then saddest of all, the couple starts to fear God and even hide from God. And we've been doing that ever since. That's the first story. The second story is the one we read in Luke's gospel, one of the last stories he tells. It's an Easter story, and it's about a couple, but they don't know it's an Easter story. They've heard news of Jesus raised from the dead, but they have their doubts, and they, they're sad. Jesus joins them on the road, but they don't know it's him. The way that Adam and Eve hid from God, Jesus kind of hides from them. But it's not out of fear. He's a prankster because this story, like the first one, is playful. They walk along. They get back to their village, Emmaus. It's getting late, and Jesus pretends that he has to go on. Well, I, I, I probably should just keep going. I mean, I've got a ways to... No, 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 it's getting late. Come on in. Well, no, I really need to... Come on, it's really, it's getting dark. Oh, okay, if you insist. I think if we had video, he would have winked at the camera at least twice by now. He goes in, sits at their table, and even though he is the guest, he is the one who takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And these are the four verbs of communion. This is how the New Testament describes communion. Taking and blessing and breaking and giving. And about now, we should be seeing connections between the two stories. In fact, Luke really wants us to. It's called a midrash. You've heard me describe it before. Midrash is the way rabbis will tell a story about a story in the Bible in order to make sense of it. Like there's an old midrash about how when God made Adam out of the dirt, God collected dirt from the north and the south and the east and the west so that wherever humans ended up, they would feel at home. It's a midrash. This story in Luke's gospel is a midrash on the Garden of Eden. There's a couple in both stories. They eat, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize. In fact, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, has the exact same wording, except instead of recognizing their nakedness and shame, they now recognize the risen Jesus. If you eat this meal... You can live forever. Eden is restored. The exile from the garden, it is undone. We're back in paradise. Sort of. Not quite. Jesus is raised from the dead. But our resurrection will have to wait a while. In the meantime, there are still weeds in the garden. And in the meantime, humans will still die. 
Just turn on the TV and look at the count. In a time of a global pandemic, we know full well we are not in paradise. The third story is a kind of midrash on both of those stories as well as our current situation, including a doctor and hospital. It's a short story by Raymond Carver. You can read the whole thing online. It's called A Small Good Thing. It's the story of a couple, which by now should seem familiar. Their names are Anne and Howard. Their son Scotty will have his birthday on Monday, but this is Saturday and Anne has gone to the bakery to order his cake. The baker, he's not a chatty kind of guy. He doesn't seem all that friendly. He's a little bit rough around the edges. He seems to me to have a kind of broken English and a roughness to him. He stands with his arms crossed against his aproned chest while Anne looks at him and flips through the notebook trying to find the right cake. She lands on one, she orders it, and she leaves. Monday morning, Scotty is walking to school with his friend, and they're talking about what he might get for his birthday. And that's when he steps off the curb and is hit by a car. The driver stops, looks in his rearview mirror, and tries to assess the situation, and somehow Scotty staggers to his feet, and the driver speeds off. Scotty decides he needs to walk back home. He doesn't feel well. His friend goes to school. Scotty tells his mom what has happened, and she can't believe And then he collapses. He's unconscious. He's rushed to the hospital. Howard will rush to meet them there, and they wait. The doctors keep saying, it's not a coma. We don't really want to call it a coma, but they might as well because he is unresponsive and the clock just keeps ticking and ticking. And they wait. Eventually, the medical staff says, you know, we, we don't know how long this could be. You, you, you need to get a bite to eat. You need to go home, clean up. We'll call you if something happens. They resist, of course. But eventually they decide maybe if just one at a time. And, and so Howard goes home to clean up. And the phone rings. And he can't believe, why did I even come? Oh my gosh, it's the hospital. And the, the person on the line says, it's about Scotty. And he hangs up and he rushes back to the hospital. Why did he come home? But the hospital hasn't called. And nothing has changed. After a while, Anne decides she will go home. She gets a little bit confused in the hallways of the hospital and ends up in another waiting room where an African-American family is waiting to hear about their boy who's been killed or hurt. And, and they're praying. And Anne's been praying. In fact, she told Howard at one point, I almost thought I'd forgotten how, but I guess we never forget how, really. She goes home, she's going to clean and change clothes, and, and the phone rings. It's about Scotty, and so she rushes back, but nothing has happened. And then, totally out of the blue, no explanation, Scotty sits up, opens his eyes, 
it looks like everything's going to be fine, except a few moments later, he collapses and dies. And at that moment, this couple is about a million miles from paradise and that garden. Their son, dead, on his birthday. They go back home. They're numb. And the phone rings again. It's about Scotty. And that's when they figure it out. It's the baker. The baker has called them about the cake. And in their grief and in their rage, they say, we're going to go see him. And they go early in the morning. And he's there. He's preparing the baked goods for the day. And they go around back and they knock on the door and they are furious. And the the tension really rises. I mean, he can sense their anger and, and the baker has even picked up a rolling pin and things could go really bad. Except finally they, they blurt out what has happened and everything changes and they, they collapse into their grief and the baker feels very sorry for them. And he says, please, please sit. And in that steamy kitchen, they sit at a table and he, he pours them cups of coffee and he says, let me, let me get you some sweet rolls. And they say, no, 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 we, we can't eat. And then he says something. He says, at a time like this, eating is a small good thing. That is the truth. At a time like this, eating is a small good thing. I've been thinking about families who are eating together like they haven't in a long time and and even baking i read that in march and april sales of yeast are 500 percent above where they were a year ago at this time people are baking because at a time like this eating it is a small good thing and i think about this meal that we eat Every Sunday, bread and wine, it is a small, good thing. And in eating it, our eyes are opened and we see Jesus. So, three stories and a footnote. The footnote is is kind of an interesting little twist. Archaeologists have never found any evidence of the location of Emmaus. The text says seven miles from Jerusalem. They've never found it. That's an unusual kind of thing. Frederick Beekner says maybe it's for the best because maybe then Emmaus becomes code for where each of us lives, north, south, east, or west, at home on that soil. Yeah, maybe so. But there's one other thing. There's one other thing in this text, in Luke's gospel. I've noticed it before, but it never meant something until this moment. They eat this meal in their home. Just like we do this day. If you want to know where Emmaus is, just write your address down. That is where the Christ shows up and our eyes are opened.